1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Docebo, Inc. 4th Quarter 2020 Earnings Call. All participants are currently in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will open the line for a question and answer session for analysts. Instructions will be provided at that time for research analysts to ask questions. We ask that analysts please limit themselves to two questions and return to the queue for any follow-ups. I would now like to turn the call over to Docebo's Investor Relations, Dennis Vong. Please go ahead,
2: Dennis. Thank you, Operator. Before we begin, Dochebo would like to remind listeners
0: that certain information discussed today may be forward-looking in nature. Such forward-looking information reflects the company's views with respect to future events. Any such information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statements. For more more information on the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions related to forward-looking statements, please refer to Docebo's public filings, which are available on CEDAR and on EDGAR. During the call, we will reference certain non-IFRS financial measures. Though we believe that these measures provide useful supplemental information about our financial performance, they are not recognized measures and do not have standardized meanings under IFRS. Please see our MDMA for additional information regarding our non-IFRS financial measures, including for reconciliations to the nearest IFRS measures. Please note that un- unless otherwise stated, all references to any financial figures are in US dollars.
2: Now, I'd like to turn the call over to the CEO, Claudio Erba. Thanks, Dennis. And good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our fourth quarter
3: earning call. With me today is Ian Gibson, our Chief Financial Officer, and Alessia Artupo, our Chief Revenue Officer. Over the past year, managing through pandemic brought many challenges for our employees, our customers, and the global economy. But one clear trend has emerged. The digital transformation of training is accelerating rapidly. A critical component to any corporate learning program is the LMS, which manages training delivery. Today, the disabled LMS is positioned as one of the prominent solutions on the market. In the first quarter, we continue to see strong momentum across our business as we once again generated record new logo, Apple, and OEM sales. This was driven by broad based demand as we added 154 new customers from the third quarter of 2020 and ended the fourth quarter with 2,179 customers. Average contract value grew both quarter-over-quarter quarter, and year-over-year year, to $34,000. And the average contract value for new customers in the fourth quarter was over $40,000. In addition, in the fourth quarter, approximately 80% of, of the ARR from log and customer expansion signing were for multi-year deals, showing again that learning is a strategic for our customers. External customer and partner training is one of our favourite customer use cases, but we are also winning a large number of internal training use cases. To example, in the first quarter where with MBC Universal Media and Ubisoft, MBC Universal, the American Media and Entertainment Conglomerate, was in search of an LMS that would simply and effectively support their reporting requirements. They choose the table to grant them the autonomy to manage their own training courses internally and to provide their learners with a dynamic learning experience that nicely fits with their branding requirements. Ubisoft, the French-based video game company with more than 18,000 employees in 40 studios around the world, has a vision to create a learning environment that allows for consistent reskilling skilling through highly qualitative digital experiences. In order to consolidate their training and manage their compliance requirements, Ubisoft signed with Decebo, introducing such a learning and collaborative element to its global workforce and providing them with exciting new learning opportunities. Another key driver in our growth has been Land and Expand. And in the fourth quarter, we signed a customer expansion agreement with Cisco and Heart & Cisco has been a Ducebo customer since 2018 when they acquired Broadsoft, a global voice-over IP and unified communication provider that began using the Ducebo MS in 2016. Cisco has, since expanded its adoption of Ducebo, including their most recent addition of WebEx in the fourth quarter of 2020. Earth and Snow Foundation began using Docebo in the second quarter of 2020 when we provided them with free use of the Docebo platform for nine months to support their training and research during a time of remote working triggered by COVID. In Q4, after having tested the AI-powered learning platform, they have officially signed it with Docebo to transform their learning experience through their organization. A third factor in our growth is our OEM business, which continues to outperform and has been the largest single contributor to ARR for several quarters. Once again, OEM revenue increased quarter over quarter, both in absolute dollars and as a percentage of our total subscription revenue. This remains a very exciting ch- channel for us, and we have an active pipeline of OEM opportunities that we hope to convert in 2021. All of our success today has been on the back of the strength of one core product, Docebo LMS. The year we have spent evolving the Docebo platform has put us in a position to solve the learning challenges of some of the largest and most progressive companies in the world. But today, in order to take advantage of the full promise of digital learning, our customers need to turn to multiple vendors, with the LMS being just one, piece of the solution. Our customers are looking for solutions to address the content creation, measure learning effectiveness, and drive insights from learning analytics, all while the core LMS function of learning delivery also continues to evolve. It is our longer-term vision that will be able to provide customers within a single cohesive platform addressing all these solutions, and we have been working toward achieving this goal for the past several years. I'm very happy to be able to tell you that we have started to take our first significant step along this journey. We have started with the recent launch of learning Impact, the learning effect- effectiveness tool, which we have acquired via the four purchase. This will be followed later in the year by the shape, our AI-based content creation tool. Other tools and features are expected to follow at various points over the next 18 months. Of course, we look forward to being able to cross-sell these new products to our existing LMS customers, but many of these are standalone products that will also be made available to customers using other LMS platforms. In the coming months, we will be sharing more with you on our long-term vision of the industry, and upcoming product launches, so please stay tuned. Lastly, I want to touch on our activities since our Nasdaq IPO in December, where we raised the pro- approximately 155 million in net proceeds. Our US listing has been another great milestone in the table progression as a leading player in global LMS. and has helped to raise our profile with prospective customers and employees. We are actively adding depth and talent through our organization, and this investment is a key focus for our leadership team, as we prepare Docebo for the next 100 million in revenue growth and beyond. In line with this thinking, I want to take a moment to welcome Trisha Price, who recently joined Docebo as an independent director further increasing the diversity and experience for our board. Krisha is currently the Chief Product Officer at the Global Cloud Banking Leader, Ancino, and we look forward to, drive, to drawing on a wealth of knowledge in software as a service and financial services technology as we continue on our growth journey. In summary, the strength of our customers pipeline, upcoming new products, and the expanding profile with our industry has increased our confidence as we enter 2021. With consistent organic ARR growth over 50% in 2020, while operating near adjusted EBITDA given, we believe our financial performance put us in a select group of fast growing publicly traded global stock companies. With that, I will now pass
2: the call to Ian to speak to the financials.
4: Thank you, Claudio, and good morning, everyone. As usual, I'll remind everyone that you can find a detailed breakdown of our financial results for the three months ended December 31st, 2020 in our press release, our MD&A, and financial statements, which are now made available on our website and have also been filed on SEDAR and EDGAR. We also have a slide deck accompanying our earnings call discussion that was made available on our investor Investor Relations website this morning. For those who want to follow along, I'm gonna start my remarks with slide four. As most of you are aware, in January 2021, in cooperation with a major shareholder, Docebo facilitated a secondary offering on the NASDAQ exchange. In conjunction with the offering, we released early guidance results for the fourth quarter for 2020 for several key metrics, including revenue, ARR, and average contract value, or ACV, the ranges provided were 18.25 to 18.75 million for revenue, 73 to 74 million for ARR, and 33.5 to 33.95 thousand for ACV. Today, I'm pleased that we are able to report final results either close to or above the high end of each of these ranges. Total revenue grew to $18.8 million, an increase of 53% from the prior year. Subscription revenues grew 49% from the prior year period and were $16.7 million, or nearly 89% of total revenue for the quarter. Professional services revenue in the fourth quarter was $2 million, an increase of 94% from the prior year. ARR is the driver behind subscription revenue growth and we're reporting 74 million in ARR at the end of the fourth quarter, an increase of 57% from the 47.2 million in ARR that we reported at the end of the fourth quarter of 2019. Of particular note, the growth in ARR in the fourth quarter was broadly based. There were no large outlying deals. To skew the results either to the good or bad when compared to the third quarter of 2020 the 9.4 million increase in arr represented a new high wa- a new high watermark for Docebo. in considering this performance it's worth emphasizing that our arr growth is all truly organic and does not reflect the benefit of of any MA as the revenue from Formetris is not currently categorized as ARR. Professional services revenue increased substantially period to period. Unlike subscription revenue, which is highly predictable, professional services revenue can vary significantly, even between what would otherwise be highly comparable contracts. In the near to medium term, we expect that professional services revenue will continue to represent approximately 7 to 8% of total revenue. We had 2,179 customers at the end of the fourth quarter, and our average contract value, or ACV, increased to approximately 34,000, up 24% from the 27,000 at the end of the fourth quarter last year. Historically, we have reported net dollar retention rate, or NDRR, as being greater than 100%. This year, we're providing a more precise net dollar retention rate with our 2020 year-end reporting, and we will continue to provide NDRR annually on this basis going forward. NDRR measures the relative increase or decrease in revenue from a consistent cohort of customers, period to period, and provides insight into the net effect of upsells and churn in an underlying portfolio of customers. In 2020, NDRR was 108%, which compares favorably to the 105%, which was actually realized in 2019. We are particularly pleased by the year-over-year improvement in this metric in the context of the pandemic that we experienced during the year and the consequential higher rates of churn which have now now been normalized.
2: The fifth slide shows gross
4: profit for the fourth quarter. As a percentage of revenue, gross profit margin was 84.1% of sales, an increase from 81.2% of sales in the prior year. Gross margin this quarter benefited from lower fees with our hosting provider. And while we will continuously work with our provider to further optimize this agreement, Our long-term expectation for gross margin is is for it to normalize in the 82 to 85% range. On slide six, you can see a summary of our operating expense lines. Total operating expenses for the fourth quarter increased to 19.9 million as compared to 13.1 million for the prior year. Included in the 19.9 million is a foreign exchange loss of $3.4 million, which relates primarily to the cash held on our balance sheet at year end, and is therefore, for the most part, unrealized. Operating costs excluding this loss were $16.5 million, and compared to the $13.4 million in operating costs, also excluding foreign exchange impacts that we reported in the third quarter of 2020. The primary drivers of the increase in operating expenses from the third quarter for higher GA and sales and marketing expenses. GA expense growth came as the result of higher salaries, benefits, and recruitment fees in support of our growing operations, as well as the increased costs of compliance associated with our NASDAQ listing, including increased accounting, legal, and directors' and officers' insurance expenses. On a go forward basis, we estimate our U.S. listing will add approximately $5 million of annual recurring costs as compared to only being listed on the TSX. D&O insurance is the principal component of this increase. Sales and marketing expense increased on an absolute dollar basis from $5.8 million to $6.5 million in the quarter, but declined as a percentage of revenue to 34.4%, as compared to the 36% for the third quarter of 2020. To some extent, we're playing catch up on personnel investments we had postponed earlier in the year. So we expect sales and marketing expense as a percentage of revenue to continue to increase both absolutely as well as a percent of revenue in the near term. Our medium term expectation for sales and marketing expense as a percentage of total revenue continues to be The 35 to 45 percent range, and it will remain there for so long as our growth trajectory continues at or close to its current level. We reported adjusted EBITDA of 0.5 million for the fourth quarter of 2020 compared to a loss of 1 million in the prior year. We also reported a net loss of 3.7 million for the quarter as compared to 3.3 million net loss for the prior year. As already noted, the net loss for the fourth quarter reflects a 3.4 million foreign exchange loss. In the fourth quarter, we generated positive free cash flow of 6.5 million, driven by 7 million in positive cash flow from operations, largely as a result of a strong performance in the accounts receivable collection. Our balance sheet today is very healthy given our free cash flow profile, and the proceeds we've realized from recent equity financing. With an additional $155 million in net proceeds from the US IPO in December, cash at the end of the fourth quarter was approximately $220 million, and we carry no debt. In 2021, our focus will be to invest to maximize organic revenue growth, and it will continue to be such so long as our LTV to CAT, remains attractive as we believe this is the best use of our capital. We will continue to look at M&A opportunistically to advance our objective to offer a complete suite of learning products and provide more cross-sell opportunities. Although this may mean expense growth accelerating faster than revenue growth in the near term, we believe it sets the stage for higher growth and profitability
2: over the longer term. With that, I'll turn it over to the operator now to take some questions from the analyst.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now take questions from research analysts. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your tone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. As a reminder, please limit yourself to two questions and requeue for any follow-ups. First question comes from Robert Young at Canaccord. Please go ahead.
5: Hi. Uh, good morning. Um, thanks for the disclosure on the, um, the retention. Uh, maybe I'd like to ask a question there. The increase from 105 to 108 percent, you already highlighted the, um, the expectations. Uh, at the beginning of the year, was expected to be higher, and it it's improved since then. But I'd like to better understand the increase. Is it more driven by expansions? of existing customers or is it driven by better churn payment than maybe you would have expected at the beginning of the year because it looks like that would have a reverse course significantly to get a an increased um retention
2: um rob
3: ciao claudio speaking uh before ending the the answer to Ian, i just want to
2: say ciao um so ian are you taking it
4: sure uh it was a combination of factors, Rob. Um, we we started implementing some better controls on churn and, and internal processes on customer management in late 2019. Uh, and it was fortuitous timing because, uh, obviously, the, the, the environment changed through 2020. So uh, our ability to manage our customers has been improving um that was coupled with uh, better performance on the on the upsell cross sell front so it it, it was it was both
6: and
5: uh, so that's one of the areas that you've been investing in is the upsell uh like better support organization better uh, ability to you know drive that land and expand and so th- would it be fair to say that your your performance there in expansions has moved forward significantly and 2020, and that's going to stay the case here in 2020. Or is it going to get be better? How we... um,
4: I'll, I'll 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 say yes to that, but um, probably best to have Alessio maybe talk a little bit about our our performance on on the
2: upsell side. Hey, hey Rob, uh,
6: good good morning. We're 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 pleased with seeing um, that the tactics and the activities on on uh, retention, improvement, um, or paying back. Uh, you're right when you say that there's focus on uh, expansion. We, we continue to win departments of very large organizations, and, and when that happens, it leads itself to the possibility of continuing to win business within the same business or across the ecosystem of those companies. Uh, it is no secret that we have continued to invest in uh, up, uh, empowering this engine, the upsell expansion engine. Uh, we think that uh, even net of any new product, uh, there is tremendous opportunity. And, and as we continue to uh, successfully launch uh, um, products like the Cheble Learning Impact, that opportunity increases even further. So we think we are very well positioned to maintain high performance in NDRR. Um, and uh, I, I would just not make uh, a statement that it will be either or uh, churn-related or upsell-related because our goal, really, and what we're executing is improving both.
5: All right. Thank you. And uh, one quick one on, I think, a quarter ago or two quarters ago, you highlighted uh, QSR expansion that was going to fall into Q1. I just – you didn't – Update anything on that and
2: the release. I was if that's still something you expect to happen in Q1. I'll pass the line. Uh, yes, it is.
1: Thank you. The next question. Thank you. The next question comes from Stephanie Price at CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning.
7: I just wanted to follow up on Rob's question around the customer expansions. Uh, obviously, you've had some some very strong ones, including Cisco this quarter and Walmart in, in the past. Just curious about the sales process and how you kind of look to expand within these existing customers, and whether you've ramped up that sales team at all.
3: Yeah, Stephanie, uh, Claudio, speaking. Uh, great to meet you. I will I will leave Alessio uh, answer this question.
6: Stephanie, good morning. Great question. I could uh, I could probably speak to you about this for the next 15 to 20 minutes, but I'll give you the the, <laughs> the short version of uh, our uh, strategy in upsell. Um, number one, uh, a good upsell strategy starts with uh, a happy customer base. Our number one effort is to continue to create products that lead them uh, lead our customers to adoption and happiness. That that's really the foundation of any good uh, upsell engine. Having said that, um, there's, a, there's really a company-wide effort, um, and I really mean it. Uh, we are investing proportionally in uh, empowering our professional services organization to implement faster and better. We're, we're investing in our support organization to provide to customers the support they need to solve the issues at the right time, that that creates the premises for a customer experience and account management team to continue winning business. I understand that your question is on the sales motion. So, at a high level, when we uh, when we win a new customer, a new organization, um, there is a, there is a team of account managers and customer experience specialists that support these customers. When we look at these customers, we We try and think, uh, what is the opportunity size across the customer, and not only within the the organization itself, but around the the ecosystem of sister companies and such of these customers. And uh, and we activate, um, you know, account development motions to understand uh, who are the different buyer personas across the companies. Um, and, And I'd say, you know, we like to say that every customer we land, that there is another uh, 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 six to, to eight buyers within the customer that we could uh, uh, reach out to and, and we execute towards that at a high level I think this is what you're asking Stephanie is it satisfactory
8: yeah no absolutely that's great color thank you um, and maybe
7: a completely unrelated question uh, just around for am um, just curious about how the integrations
2: growing going and how customers are responding to to the expanded offering Claudio, you're on mute. Sorry. Uh, before answering the specific formatric question,
3: Stephanie, I want to uh, reiterate what Alessio stated. I mean, Ducebo has always been perceived like a product company, where the product is our main asset. But actually, our sales organization over time, and especially during the last year became another strategic asset for Docebo and it's an asset we can leverage to sell new products to the market. Let's say that said, the, the first product that will be sold to our actual customer but also to new customers is uh, the former for Matrix product the now renamed in Docebo Impact and uh, when we have demoed uh, the logic that the LMS is delivering the training but you need an assessment tool to understand the quality of the learning you deliver, of the curricula you deliver and using this data to re-strategize some part of the learning strategy that doesn't, that is not effective as expected this is the real strength of Docebo Impact. Uh, Let's say that every new product we are building and expect some news in the future, uh, building and releasing and selling, of course, um, is built to be sold not only to Docebo LMS users, but can be plugged inside other learning management systems that can benefit from a learning impact analysis, also if
2: these customers are not using the Ducebo Learning Management System. Okay, that's great color,
1: thanks so much. Thank you. The next question comes from Daniel Chen at TD. Please go ahead.
2: Hi, good
9: morning just wanted to touch on the uh, OEM sales. Those continue to be strong, and you mentioned uh, it, was, it was record performance. Can you provide any insight on how the attach rate to your partner solutions are going and any feedback you're getting from them?
3: Um, so uh, about the, the, the attachment rate and answer, I will, I will let Ian answer. Uh, that said, I want to say that I'm very happy and excited on the technology we have built for the OEM and the pipeline we have. Let's say that, said, Ian, uh, are you going to answer uh, uh, about this question?
4: Uh, sure. Uh, I, I mean, Dan, we, 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 we've we never commented on, on our penetration within any particular OEMs, and, and, and I think that's probably uh, the, the way we're going to proceed um, in, in the future. So I, I can't respond definitively. I, I, I will say, though, that... To the extent that our OEM business is is driven by HCM platforms, which I think it's fair to say that today it is the HCMs are historically very strong in the fourth quarter and and as a consequence <clears throat> a, a strong performance that uh, the, the, our strong performance in the court in the fourth quarter was related to that. Uh, <clears throat> Alessio are, are, are there any other sort of general observations that are that, that are worth making
2: with regards to uh with regards uh, our, to the perf yeah w- 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 with regards to the OEM performance
6: yeah with regards to OEM performance that's absolutely correct and i would reiterate what we have said in the past that while HCM leads itself to being a primary target uh, for us, for OEM relationships, we, we've widened that net to other sectors and other types of organizations that are showing interest. But, you know, that, that's uh, just um, uh, the product also about the maturity of our OEM product itself. Um, but with regard to attachment rate specifically, I would, I would confirm what you said, Ian.
9: Okay, that's helpful. And then maybe can you comment on the relative size of deals one from OEM
2: Sales relative to your direct sales. Alessio, do you want
6: you know, do you want to touch on that or or? or. I, I, I my line was was bad. The, the question didn't come through clearly. I apologize about that. Could you? Yeah, I'll repeat, I'll repeat it,
9: it Alessio. Sure. Just um. That. On the relative size of deals for OEM sales, do, do they, how do they compare to sales made from your direct uh, sales?
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the nature of a sale of an OEM organization is, is add-on, um, whereas uh, the nature of the sale of our direct team is, uh, is the primary product. That, in itself, is the most uh, uh, significant and and, uh, notable difference. Now, um, when you look at add-on sale, uh, just like we have add-ons on our side, um, the beauty of it is that um, they can be very powerful in sales execution, uh, both at new and uh, in the base. So we like partnering with organizations that have uh, a large install base, uh, because with proper execution uh, of uh, upsell and sales expansion, uh, that base is very fertile territory for add-on add. Um, the average deal size uh, is um, uh, in itself smaller, um, um, and that depends also on the segment that they sell into, um, but, but the, the velocity of those deals uh, tends to be much faster and um so in in a short and brief recap smaller deals uh, uh, as a part of an add-on strategy
9: okay that's very helpful thank you and then maybe related to deal size your acv continues to grow um can you comment on whether that's volume driven or whether their customers are taking on more modules and if it's the latter which
2: modules have been very popular thank you
6: yeah um yeah, so it's a, it's a mix of of, of both um and the uh, and the reality is uh, we continue to work with larger organizations. Yeah, that that's a fact. They're buying more products and modules, that's a fact. And uh, and we're getting better at positioning uh, certain capabilities uh, and and winning business uh, from um and displacing uh, uh, um, competitors uh, um, that are very strong in the enterprise segment. And we're very happy with our results in the enterprise and major segments that are really our, our target markets. So I wouldn't attribute growth in ACV to, again, a specific factor, rather, it's a mix of combined efforts.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Richard Say at National Bank. Please go ahead.
2: Yes, uh, thank you. Just uh, for our
7: sort of modeling purposes, I was curious to get your perspective. You no know, doubt, if you look at sort of the full year, you guys had some incredible growth, uh, certainly relative to a lot of names at 54% in terms of um, the subscription part. No doubt, some of that probably had to do with the, you know, the shift to, to remote learning. So as we look out into 2021 and 2022 um should we expect that to moderate a little bit uh, to sort of reflect uh hopefully a return to uh, a normal life here or or should we sort of uh, assume it's going to be sustained given the initiatives that you're putting in place uh, here going forward
2: um yeah so um i think that uh
3: you, you have to uh, imagine the adoption of a learning management system as a software as a strategic move. I mean, there is not a, one, a one-to-one correlation to the pandemic like Zoom. I mean, if you come back to the office, you are not using Zoom for working with, with, with your peers and with your colleagues. So there is a direct reduction. Uh, what, we, what we are seeing in, in our industry is actually that there is an awareness that there is a tool, which is a learning management system and online learning in general, that was not leveraged efficiently like can be done. So now the customers are more aware that they have these tools And this tool will not fade away, because it does not have a direct correlation between employees coming back to the office. Um, We are not providing guidance on on the growth, but we are happy that now the buyer are becoming more and more sophisticated. Let's say I would like Ian giving you more color on on, on the direct question you, you have raised.
4: Um, sure. Uh, look, the, the, the as as everyone knows, we don't provide guidance. Uh, the the way that I've I tried to respond because I know the appetite is insatiable. Uh, but but the the way that I've tried to respond in the past is is to say that um, you know we we obviously monitor momentum in in our business and uh, at at this point. Um, even though our business is slightly seasonal there's there's nothing as i've said uh, historically that there's nothing that we see that would suggest there's going to be a change in uh in, in
2: in the momentum in our business um to to the downside so you know
4: i'm i'm not an expert on on how businesses uh, are are operating in in the U.S., but a lot of the U.S. is 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 more functionally normal than than uh, what we see here in Canada, and um, you know the the concern or evidence of a significant headwind as as Covid starts to diminish. um, We we have not seen as of yet any indication that that's going to be the case.
2: Okay, that's totally fair. You know, I just sort of get kind of curious to to get that
4: perspective. uh, No, no. Look, we uh, we we understand it, and and we watch our funnel daily to, to 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 try to figure that out. Right.
7: Okay. Uh, um, As far as my second question goes, obviously you guys have done an incredible job on the OEM side as well. Um, Beyond kind of uh, HCM, there are probably some meaningful opportunities in in other sort of segments, you know, notably like ERP and and such. What's the plan, or is there a plan to
2: sort of expand uh, kind of the OEMs over the next 12 months uh, into some of those other areas?
6: great uh great question sorry. yeah we have made no secret
3: i was muted yes yes sorry ale uh, product guy speaking Please. here um this is me uh so we we we, we have built a super great technology because uh, it's agnostic on uh, the software we interface with so we OEM with let's say that said, uh it's just a matter of fantasy on where we can plug Docebo in OEM. Why? Because learning is happening in every phase of the workflow. So uh, you are learning when you are inside your CRM. You are learning when you are into your partner portal system. So we, with our technology, we are capable to be plugged in interesting vertical software that needed to provide learning but don't have the capability to build their own lms or their own learning technologies because don't forget that the is becoming a multi-product suite that said if i have to identify immediate opportunities also based on feedback on the beta testing of new oem models that we are releasing and I'm thinking about uh, uh, plugins of the table that run inside the web pages. I can say that partner portals are interesting because usually the partner portal is providing training inside the partner portal to the partner network. So partner portal software, uh, talent management software, uh, OEM software, I can say also maybe some CRM, uh, are great opportunities for us. And uh, I repeat myself, the Chibo OEM as a product is agnostic. That's uh
2: run inside uh, all the technologies. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
1: The next question comes from Gavin Fairweather at Cormac Securities. Please go ahead.
5: Hey there. Good morning. Good afternoon, Claudio. Um, just on the 150 new logo additions in the quarter, that's up from kind of 100 in, in the past few quarters. I guess I'm just curious for some attribution on that. Would you tie that to higher inbound leads
2: or higher win rates or maybe a bit of both? I'm sorry.
4: Sorry. It, it, it's okay, Alessio. I... I, I I can comment on this one quickly. It, it was two things. Um, two things. One, you know, when when we look at, at logo editions, it's always on a net basis, and uh, we we've said in the past that we have a historical um, historical component of our customer base that are are very small. Uh, small pieces of, of of our revenue pie. Um, still, still, folks who pay us a thousand dollars a year. As that piece diminishes, then the the fall off that we have that acts against our new logo ads also starts to diminish. Right, um, and and so that's that's one thing that happened in the quarter. The other aspect, though, uh, probably more important, is first of all the dollar, the gross dollar ad was was very significant, and there were no really big wins included in uh, in in that ad, and so um, you know they they were basically all singles. There might have been one or two
2: doubles, but but the, the, there were no grand slams in in the quarter. Okay, yeah, I guess I was just curious if you if you wanted to comment on on rates in
7: particular and whether those have moved around. I don't know if Alessio would have any comments on that.
2: Sorry, you're breaking up there. Oh, okay, I'll pass the line. Thank you.
1: The next question comes from Martin Toner at ATP Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
2: Good morning, and uh, thanks for taking my call, and uh, congrats on a great year. Thank you, Martin. Good morning. Nice to have you with us.
4: So uh, you mentioned higher profile as a function of the Nasdaq listing, and I mean that sounds pretty positive for uh, uh, revenue growth prospects going forward. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I, I mean, look, being being listed on the Nasdaq is look, it's it's an expensive uh, undertaking. Um, and if we didn't think that there were positives associated with it, obviously we would we wouldn't have moved forward. But the, the the profile that that we we believe that it provides us is multifaceted. Um, it's and and I almost wouldn't want to weight any of these as being dramatically more important than the other. But we're we're obviously from an investor perspective, to the extent they can trade our stock in in a home currency on a home exchange it it makes it better for u s investors or, or 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 just more natural for u s investors um, but as I said, equally important for us is uh, is given our our hiring requirements being being listed on the NASdaq exchange and and having compensation programs that that can reflect stock and and, and incentive plans associated with a NASDAQ listing is is also important it, it, It's a competitive world out there and uh, and, and that's something that uh, that has already proven to be beneficial for us and then you know the the last thing of course is uh, is is with our customers there's there's an element of being a grown-up company uh in uh, in, in in listing on the nasdaq um you know t- t- candidly i i think it's fair to say and alessio you may want to comment on this but i think it's fair to say that the days where we used to fight the battle with our customers um of are we are we real are we big enough to service a large company uh, i think those days are to all intents and purposes behind us at, at this point um but alessio <clears throat> why, why, why don't you take that
6: I, I yeah i agree on 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 that last comment uh, um, there's two factors that contribute to that perception uh, evolving and changing one is uh, certainly, um, um, Nasdaq adds uh, a level of uh, prestige to the organization, uh, and customers and prospects appreciate that, and they understand what it comes with. And, and, and secondly, as we continue to win uh, large logos and partner with organizations in 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 the uh, you know degree of uh, maturity and success of the AWS and Walmart, um, there's a recognition that that doesn't happen randomly. And uh, and that those are statements to the growth of the company on 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 top of the Nasdaq listing. So, um, yeah, we we are
2: pleased with it. Uh, super. Thanks very much, I Can add a follow-on. Um, why does Informetrics revenue go into
4: ARR, and um, will that change going forward, or, or will you consider a change to the revenue model that will allow it to go into ARR? Yeah, it's a great question. Um uh, uh, candidly, it it's a technicality and and we 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 did struggle a little bit and decided to take the high road. Um the structure of their contracts today if if you if you were to take that structure and compare it to our MSSA, it's it's just different um and and we we will be working with their customer base to put them onto paper that's structured like ours, and and that's why in our remarks I said you know the our our, our revenue uh, is not currently classified as A R R. As we convert those contracts into, uh, as I said, you know, as we convert those contracts onto our paper,
2: then then we will start to classify them as as A R R. Okay, super. Thank you very much. The next question comes from
1: Suthan Sukumar at 8 Capital. Please go ahead.
2: Good morning, gents, and uh, congrats on the strong results. Good to see
7: this uh, strong strong momentum in the business continue. I wanted to touch on um, some of the strength you're seeing in new customer wins here. What can you share on, on the profiles of of these new customers coming on board and and how much of these are net
2: new to learning versus uh competitive displacement?
6: Good morning, and thank you for the kind words. Um, what can we share on the makeup of the new customers well um a couple of things I think it was in the script it was uh, it was a record quarter, not only for new logo, but also for upsell. And and when we think upsell, we don't think uh, just upsell to the same customer, but cross sell within the customer organization. And I think that's important to answer your question and give context with regards to the new customers that were signing. Uh, no very net new specific trend, Sutan. We continue to excel in industries and sectors in which we have um, uh, shared uh, uh, great stories in the past. Um, I also believe it was in the script, but to add more color, just to be, to be very clear, we haven't um, uh, incorporated in the quarter four results a really large, uh, so to speak, whale well deals well above uh, um, uh, the, the standard uh, um, ticket. Um, we have, in fact, uh, distributed this across a multitude of customers, uh, primarily uh, in, in, in software, and in technology, in the uh, manufacturing, financial services, retail. Those are some of the sectors in which uh, um, we continue to see strong momentum. The displacement factor is, uh, is the, primary, the primary case. Uh, the ideal customer profile of the Chebo is not anymore a first time adopter. It used to be um, the, the ideal customer of the Chebo as uh, a competitor in house or an homegrown solution, but I would say that in 90% of the instances we displace uh, either a large HCM or another LMS point solution. and And we're seeing a trend where HCM or talent management suite displacement happens most frequently in the enterprise segment. That's where we win uh, the bigger deals from uh, the talent uh, uh, LMS combined type of solutions.
2: Great, that's that's, uh, pretty helpful. Um, Secondly, I wanted to touch on the competitive landscape.
7: curious if you guys are seeing any notable changes in the competitive backdrop uh now versus kind of recent quarters I mean, we saw Microsoft launch, launch Viva, you know wondering what you're seeing from some of the from some of the existing competitors in the space and and if there's any emergence of new entrants here as you know as the market opportunity for learning really
2: expands here um yeah, I was just speaking uh, um
3: I think that uh, the industry is changing, uh, and the product uh, Needed to change uh, fa- very fast to keep uh, to 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 go where the learning is going. I mean, Viva is uh, a, a collector of uh, several functions that want to revamp the old school intranet, which is which is great. I mean, the unification of activity is important, but we think that uh, the new integration with the with Microsoft Teams, which uh, which which we have released recently, is more important, especially to support the remote work uh, that is still continuing and will continue at least uh, at the end of H1 in North America and probably a little bit longer everywhere else in the world. Um, That said, uh, classic competitors are... Uh, are growing because e-learning is growing, and we know them. What scares me is what I don't know. And uh, mainly, uh, you know, now uh, learning in the workflow, the skill system or the enablement platform, like sales enablement platform, if you, if you imagine, this only ha- learning can happen inside every single platform. So we need to be ready to bring the learning where the learner is, and not only pretending that the learner logs in inside
2: an LMS. And that's where we are working. Okay. That's good color. Thank you, Claudio. Um, that's it for me, guys. I'll pass the line.
1: Thank you. And the last question comes from Nick Agostino at Laurentian Bank. Please go ahead.
8: Um, excuse me, sorry. Uh, yeah, good good day, all. I guess just coming back to the OEM uh, question, if uh, if you guys could comment on when you look at the, the the revenue growth from the OEMs, was it driven? Recognizing the relative proportions of, of your OEM uh, uh, partners, was it driven by one OEM or was it uh, equally proportional? Again, recognizing the relative proportion, uh, was it equally proportional in terms of their their contributions? And uh, second part of that question is, what regions, if there
2: was any, where these OEMs were getting a, a greater uh, attraction?
4: Do you want me to take that, Alessio?
2: Sure. Um,
6: sure, go ahead. Let me know if you want me to chime in. Absolutely.
4: Okay. Uh, hey, Nick. Thanks. Thanks uh, for the question, and uh, great to have you with us. So, when when we started our uh, our work with Ceridian, it took us a long time, like over two years, to to be in a position where we could support them. Uh, and, and and I think everyone's familiar with, with that story. Uh, it's still, though, even though technically we are now capable of responding very quickly and, and being integrated within an OEM platform, Working with an OEM uh is still a, a critical strategic decision for them. And so you know we we have uh put a team together that over the past year has built a pipeline to uh to add to our stable of OEM partners. Having said that, uh you know. The the vast majority of our OEM revenue still comes from our our original partner, and and that's why when I look at our our business over the next five years and think about the kind of companies that we can partner with and should be partnering with and and are in in our pipeline, that's why I get excited. So to answer your your very specific question, the vast majority, of or, or, or you know the, the very material majority of our OEM revenue is still a single customer uh, related. Okay, um, and then on that same same topic,
8: if we look at Ceridian and we look at MRH, and you you, you spoke about it took two years for to probably get some good adoption with Ceridian. When you overlay the the traction of those two OEMs would you say that MRH is ahead of or on par with or 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 behind where Ceridian would have been at that same point in time just trying to understand uh the penetration you're getting as as you might bring on other OEMs
2: um Alessio why don't I let you talk to that Yep um so
4: with, with, without like you, like, specific, yes. yeah, no, yeah, no, no, I get
6: it. I get okay. it. Um, so, look, we we know the potential of um, of the relationship with Ceridian. We we we're close partners, and we've been in this, like Ian said, for a while. So, our our visibility on the model there is is certainly more mature. MHR am um, I'm HR, uh, um Started ramping uh, uh, late uh, 2020, so it's it's early days. Um, with that said, um, Ceridian remains a a, a a we plan on on them to continue to be a significant driver. But when we look at MHR and and beyond. Um, the opportunities that we are we have in funnel we, we think that over the next two years the curve that is primarily attributable to to Ceridian, uh will will you know flatten in a way and distribute more more evenly it's hard to say today exactly when and how but, but we know it will um, I think one important note uh, um, you know M- MHR is from a regional standpoint, which I think was in your initial question, is very UK-focused, whereas Ceridian, uh, despite an in, incredible effort in acquisitions also, is, is, a much, is, is a much more global player with footprint in North America. Our, our strategy and our goal and what we're executing is continuing to partner with organizations that cover the entire world without focusing or precluding any Single geography. So we're looking carefully at each and every market to OEM with companies uh, uh, from, you know, Northern Europe to APAC and so on and so forth. So we're actively pursuing every opportunity, and and regions are a consideration in our uh, uh, in our uh, hunting strategy.
2: Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you. There are no further questions. I will now turn the call back over to Claudio Urba for closing comments.
2: Um,
3: it was a pleasure having you here for our first call, uh, first earning call uh, together with TSX and NASDAQ, uh, ISIL depression. And um, I really hope to have you in the next uh, earning call, which will be probably in, in May, so not, not longer. And probably, I'm not saying we'll be in a vaccine-proof herd immunity scenario, but will we'll be more we'll relaxed. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Thank
1: you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines.